welcome. Welcome, welcome. Um, yeah, welcome. We're glad that you're you're here, and uh, welcome if you're at the Santan campus with us, uh, or in an overflow room, or watching online. Extra welcome to, to all of you. Um, my name is Ron Merrill. I'm a teaching pastor at Heights Church in Prescott, Arizona, but used to be on staff here at Cornerstone, and so this is just always like coming home for for me and my family. So thanks for having us back this weekend. Uh, my wife Anna is here, and then we've got three kids now. Uh, we have Braddock and Brody, and uh, they're they're up on the on the screen, that's Braddock and Brody, and they're incredible. Um, they are seven and six years old, second and first grade. And then we actually now have a nine-week-old baby girl named Leilani. And so, uh, yeah, I know you want to be me now. She is... Uh, She's fantastic. Um, I just want to look at her all all day long. I just get lost in the cuteness, you know, and it's just, it's a phenomenal experience. Uh, having a little girl, I'm totally wrecked now. She's going to have anything she wants. That's the way this works, apparently. Um, if, uh, if any of you watched the Academy Awards a couple of weekends ago, um, that... Uh, that whole thing, you know, we just actually moved back from Los Angeles, and so um, that whole thing was kind of front and center all the time for us. But the, the reality was, is that that whole experience is such a display of how consumed we are with the outward appearance of things, right? You, you watch the whole show, and everything is just about the outward appearance of things, and then you watch the red carpet beforehand, and it's the same sort of thing. You know, everybody's talking about what you're wearing, and what her hair is like, and this particular gown, and totally consumed by it. Um, what if Ryan Seacrest had a whole different, like, power than he does? What if he not only was able to comment on the exterior, what if he could see right into their soul? Ooh, and then comment on it. Now that is a red carpet show that I would watch, right? You know, look, here she comes walking down in her lovely Vera Wang outfit. And just so you know, her soul, her heart is absolute trash. I mean, that would be great. Who, you know, who wants to judge a billionaire? That would be fantastic. I would love, you would love it. Don't, don't, don't get all pious on me. You would love watching that show. You would. You would hate to be on that show, but you would love to watch that red carpet. I, I would, I would love that, but I would hate to be on that red carpet experience because I don't want you to see what's going on inside me half the time. I mean, it'd be horrific, right? If right now we just randomly selected any one of you in here and began to play moments on the screens here of what was going on in your heart or in your soul any time in the last couple of months, right? I mean, that'd be terrifying. The, the reality is in a room this size, in, in a group this size, that many of you come in here this morning, like we all do, and you come in with some sort of heart damage. You come in in a morning like this, and some of you are wrestling with some sort of sin issue, some disobedience to God that isn't one just little thing here and one little thing there, but there's some sort of consistent, ongoing, habitual sort of sin. And left, left undealt with, that can harden your heart. Others of you in here, there's circumstances that have been so incredibly rough in your life. 
Over the last couple of weeks or months or maybe a decade, things have been so difficult and they really weren't anything of your doing. They've come at the hands of somebody else. But circumstances have been so hard that it has broken your heart. Others of you in here, you might just be totally exhausted. You might just be wiped out and exhausted and so tired that your heart has grown numb. It's just grown cold to whoever God is or whatever he might have for you. But the beauty of it is, God is very interested, not just in your outward behavior or outward appearance. He is very interested in your soul. He's very interested in your heart this morning. The Bible refers to your heart somewhere between 800 and 900 times in the scriptures, depending on what translation that you read. And it always refers to either your emotion or your will or your sinful nature or or your soul. Essentially, when the Bible talks about your heart, it's talking about the inner you, the real you. First Samuel chapter 16, verse seven, God reminds Samuel as he's picking David to be the next king of Israel. And he's going down the line of all of David's brothers who look the part. They look fantastic. But God uses that moment to remind Samuel and us here even in 2014. He says that the Lord doesn't look at the same thing that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. In Jeremiah chapter 17, it complicates it a little bit because we're reminded that the heart is deceitful above all else. Who can understand it, it says. It's the Lord that searches the heart. And so it's complicated because you and I can, can plaster some sort of false front, some facade, and we can fake everybody else out. And what scripture is also telling you, we can even fake our, ourselves out. You can deceive yourself about how you're really doing. This morning, God is very interested in your heart. He's very interested in an opportunity to get into your heart and do what he needs to do. And so whether that's piercing through hard hearts and softening them, or, or maybe this morning what he wants to do is just to heal up broken hearts. God's in the business of working on your heart. Some of you in this room, you've got phenomenal hearts and all you needed this morning was just a little bit of encouragement to keep on keeping on. Allowing the God of the universe to go to work on your heart on a consistent basis. Others of us in here, you need full-blown quadruple bypass open heart surgery. And God loves to do that and he is tender and skilled. Going to work on your heart and my heart. Here's the crux of the heart. Everything that you do flows from it. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 says, Above all else, guard your heart. For it's the wellspring of life. Your heart determines every aspect of your life. From your love for God to your love to other people. From what you say to what you do, your heart determines every aspect of your life. And so it's no wonder that God's got an awful lot to say about your heart, about the inner you, about the real you. 
Because it's the part of you that is going to press on forever. This tent, this body that we live in, it's going to break down, fall away, and be no more. But your heart, your soul, is what God's interested in in getting a hold of here and now and doing that transformational work there that only he can do to pierce through the hard-heartedness of sin and to bind up the wounds of people that are just hurting and broken-hearted, to make you just a person that is, is satisfied and healthy and then beneficial to other people. If you have your Bible this morning, open up to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 6. If you're not real familiar, New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. So third book of the New Testament there, Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. Go to chapter 6. It's about three quarters of the way if you're not real familiar. Open up this book of Luke. And and these gospels that start out the New Testament are, are, are basically the story of Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection. And this passage that we're looking at here, we're going to see actual words of Jesus. And they come from the Sermon on the Mount. And it's familiar to a lot of you that have been around church for a while, but this Sermon on the Mount was was a sermon that we've come to understand that Jesus probably preached more than one time. It would have been kind of a go-to sermon. And it was something really foundational, something very important. If he's preaching it multiple times and multiple gospel writers recorded it in their accounts, you've got to know that what he's saying here is really important. Whether it was for close followers of his or the crowds that would just gather to hear who he was and what he was about, These words here were really, really foundational and really, really important as he preached them in his day as he was walking the earth. I believe they're still really crucial for us here today and they capture really the heart that Jesus wants your heart. That he can get into your heart and do phenomenal things in your heart to strengthen it and guide and direct it. This is really what we need. Luke chapter 6 verse 41. Jesus says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Okay. This from the mouth of Jesus here is just another huge reminder of your tendency and my tendency to focus on the outward behavior of everybody else and even miss our own behavior. And that's just kind of the human nature thing, right? For us to focus more quickly on what everybody else is doing or not doing and totally miss what we're doing ourselves. And Jesus isn't, he's not condemning brothers and sisters, followers of Jesus to help each other grow in their relationship. It's not like we have to put these blinders on and just parade around pretending like we don't notice what's going on in people's lives. From his mouth here, what he's reminding us is the end goal of this is the removal of specks and planks from each other's eyes. He's just saying, 
before you get too preoccupied with everybody else's behavior, he says, don't be hypocritical when you do assess the behavior of other people. In other words, start with yourself. Maybe, maybe we shouldn't get too preoccupied with the outward behavior and activity of everybody else until we've taken honest stock of our own behavior. And not just our own behavior, but our own hearts. Because the reality is that, that you can get to the root of what is going on in somebody's life. That will help tremendously. If you are rooted in anything or anyone other than Jesus Christ, then eventually that is going to show itself in your life in a lot of unhealthy ways. If you're rooted in anyone or anything other than Jesus and his word, then, then I can guarantee you that given enough time that that's going to show itself in your life outwardly through different sorts of behaviors. It might be sexual problems. It might be financial worries. It might be just worry in general. It might be a lack of faith. It might be relational issues. It might be anger issues. It might be anger with, with words. It might be just anger, anger in thought life. But if you're anchored into Jesus, if you're anchored into God and his word, and that's where the tree of your life has tapped its roots then that is going to show itself. If you're rooted, if your heart is rooted in Jesus and in his word and in the spirit of God, then that will show itself in all sorts of amazing things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. And it's all those things that you desperately want and that the world desperately needs are found when you open up your heart, when you open up your soul and root that in God and his word. I think that's why Jesus goes on to say what he says next. Verses 43, he says, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People don't pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. Catch this here, verse 45. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. Love this last line. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of a guarded heart, a kept heart will produce good things. A neglected heart, it'll produce bad things. I guarantee it. And so just even right now, kind of the dialogue that, that we're having here, you're listening here, and hopefully not just to me, but to God's word speak. And in just eyes open, you begin to pray, God, you know full well what's going on in my heart. You know full well what, what, what I'm rooting my life into. And I may be able to fake other people out. I might even be even faking myself out, but I can't fake you out, God. And so whatever is going on in my heart and in my life that you need to do 
even now, would you continue to reveal that stuff to me? And if it's something unhealthy, God, then I want to confess that to you. I want to open my hand of that thing and you forgive me of it, would you? Would you remove it? Would you cleanse me of it? Or if you find places that are just broken, where I'm hurting, then I know the bottle isn't going to fix it. I know that substance isn't going to fix it. I know people can't fix it. I know I need your spirit to heal me up and heal that part of my heart that's just damaged. You know, friends, it's valid to examine the fruit of other people's lives, especially when it comes to, to believers, fellow believers, fellow followers of Jesus. It's valid to look and go, yep, I can see. I can see Jesus just alive and well in you by the way that you talk and by the way that you act and what priorities that you, you live your life. I can tell that's valid. That's okay. But always remember, it's very, very difficult to judge somebody's heart. And that's why I'm glad that that's not my job. And it's not your job either. Amen? Because that, that's a mess. Because we can't even tell our own heart's condition half the time. So how am I going to judge somebody else's heart, right? And God is in the heart-changing, heart-healing business. That's not my job. It's very difficult to judge somebody else's heart. That's why I think he says what he says next. Jesus says in verse 46, look. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, Jesus says, and do not do what I say? Because he recognized, Jesus recognized, even in his, when he was walking the earth, that there were a whole bunch of people that were essentially only paying Jesus lip service. That they, they looked the part on the outside. They had their religious behavior down, but their hearts were totally disconnected. It's what God says in the book of Isaiah, that these people worship me with their mouths, but their hearts are far from me. It's what Jesus will go on to say later in his ministry. There's going to come a day where people are going to come to me and they'll say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we do all sorts of things in your name? And he'll say, I'm sorry, depart from me. I never knew you. Jesus is less interested in our outward religious activity and behavior than he is with your heart, with your soul. It's very difficult to judge a heart because we can fake everybody else out. We can put the outward thing on and look good and even say the right stuff, but our heart can totally be disconnected. And it's just sobering words of Jesus going, no, no, wait a minute. This wasn't meant just to be lip service. This wasn't just meant to be outward religious activity and behavior. But real strength, real life change comes when we open up our hearts. When we're not just hearers of the word, but we're doers of the word. And we allow the spirit of God to ride in on the word of God and grab a hold of our hearts and our souls. It's very difficult to judge somebody's heart. A bunch of people look good on the outside, but the hearts are absolute mess. The opposite's true though, right? There's a whole bunch of people that could be in their prodigal season. And from the outward appearance of things, they look like an absolute nightmare. But their hearts, we don't know. God could be on that full-on pursuit of their heart and their soul. They could have just hit rock bottom 
and just barely stood up and just barely leaned back in the direction of Jesus only to find that he is in a full on sprint for them. And there is something that they're just about to experience of the grace of God and the goodness of God and the mercy of God. I mean, he's just going to tackle them with all those things. On outward appearance, they look like a nightmare. They look like a mess. But God sees their heart. And he has not given up on them. If that's you here in this room this morning, if you're one of those here, you know, from the outward appearance of things, it doesn't look like you've got a God thought going through your brain or your heart. And maybe you've had other people tell you, you know what, you're not good enough for God. God doesn't want anything to do with you. You're too far gone. God's given up on you a long time ago. Don't even think about coming back. Those are lies from the pit of hell. Because in this moment, the God of the universe has the power to dive into your heart and into your soul and rescue you and comfort you and and pierce through hard-heartedness and heal up whatever needs to be healed up. And he's more interested in your heart than anything else. So would you open your heart to him? Would you open your heart to him this morning? He and only he has what you need. You can fake yourself out, you can fake other people out, but you can't fake God out. God searches your heart. God knows your heart this morning. And he loves you anyway. He who knows you best, loves you most. Sit under that for just a second. He really does know you. And he's got a plan for you. He doesn't want to leave you just as you are. He wants to get into your heart and your soul and do the real work there to make you the person that he's really created you to be. And so, would you open your heart to him? Your heart determines every aspect of your life. Everything that you do flows from your heart. It doesn't say that everything you do flows from your finances. It doesn't say everything that you do flows from your talent. It doesn't say everything that you do flows from your education, your intelligence. It doesn't say everything that you do flows from your background or your family. Everything that you do flows from what God can do right in here. In your soul. C.S. Lewis says, you don't have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. And so we'd be wise to open our hearts and our souls to whatever it is that God wants to do there. Guard them. Keep them. Before our God. I think Jesus gives us some pictures. He wraps it up here of what that looks like. What it looks like to guard our hearts, to keep our hearts. Look at what he says in verse 47. Jesus says, as for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I'll show you what they are like. They're like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But... The one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction 
was complete. There's two types of people that Jesus is describing here. There are those that come to him and hear his words and then obey. They receive the word of God and they apply it. They're obedient to it. They put it into practice. And when we do that, then the seed of God's word finds the good soil of our hearts and it produces a fruit, a harvest that's a blessing to you and it's a blessing to anybody else that's around you. And it anchors you into real hope and real strength and real life. The storms are going to come no matter what, right? But what you and I have allowed God to do before the storm hits, with regard to opening our heart and, and shaping our heart and strengthening our heart and guiding our hearts, makes all the difference in, in how we get through the trials, when how we get through the temptations, when how we get through the rough circumstances. When you're anchored into, rooted into, in your heart, in your soul, into the words of God and the spirit of God. Your life won't even be shaken. I love that. This is a journey I've been on for a long time. And I don't know what it's been, but the last year or so, I've just felt like the Lord's been impressing upon my heart to open it more and more to him. That I really am desperate for him. I'm trying to pass it on to my kids. I don't always know what works. I don't always know how to communicate. You know, just just letting God get a hold of their hearts. So we talk a lot about the root of the issue is their heart. Because kids, they're, they're crazy. They're evil, right? So many of you, this morning, this morning... The, the, on Sunday mornings, children turn into demons. Many of you had your hands around the throat of a child that you love this morning saying, you get ready and you get ready now because we've got to go to church or we can love about the love of Jesus. I'm not advocating that. I'm just merely saying, I know that that's what happened. But my sons, they've got these hearts that are kind of already opening up to what God wants. One of my boys, he's been talking to me lately saying, you know what? Um, I feel like God's words, it's like this big puzzle. And, and I, I can see kind of all these individual pieces. But when I hear God's word, he's only seven. When I hear God's word, it's like he puts pieces in place of this puzzle. And I can, I'm starting to see how these pieces fit together and it's making this amazing picture of who God is. I'm going, whoa. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> That's fantastic. I'm watching those pieces come together in his life and the life of my other boy. Last Christmas, or last, last birthday for, for my son Braddock, he got to pick two friends to go to the safari park for the birthday. And one of his friends, totally good, good kid and, and got just this amazing, you know, relationship already in elementary school. They're best buddies. Um, and then he invited another friend that we didn't know so well. And uh, apparently this other child was raised by demonic wolves. And 
horrible experience. Like we, we went to the safari park and I just wanted to throw them in with one of the other animals because it really was a kind of a miserable experience. It went on just like disrespectful and mean and that sort of thing. And, and I just hurt more for, for Braddock. At the end of the day, we're driving home. I just, we were going 95 miles an hour to get home. I wanted to get the spawn of Satan out of the car. And so... But, but, you know, he, my boy's crying and, and his friend is upset. And I just thought, oh, this is so sad. We, we got back to the house and the parents picked him up. And, and um, Braddock came out and just tears coming down his face. And I see, like, God at work in his heart already. And he looks at us and he goes, he goes, Mom, Dad, I just wanted to apologize for the way that my friend treated you guys. What? I go, buddy, that... That's all right. That's not your, that's not your fault. He says, I know, I know. But the, th- the thing is, like, I don't think my friend has a very good home life. I don't think he has a whole lot of good stuff going on. He's got a lot of rough things going on. I don't know if he knows Jesus. And I just thought maybe if I invited him to my birthday party, that would make him feel better. I just thought, what an amazing picture. You see, even, it doesn't matter what age you're at. And something about the Spirit of God gets into your heart and your soul. You see yourself differently. You see Him through the filter of God's Word. You see yourself that way. You see other people that way. And I'm praying that for myself. I'm praying that for, for my family. I'm praying that for my church. I'm praying for that for, that for here at, at Cornerstone. That we would be a people that just open our hearts and our souls to whatever it is that God wants to do there. To pierce through hard-heartedness. To bind up the wounds of broken hearts. To warm up numbed out hearts. Woo! Watch out what can happen through a church like that. I mean, because the purple chair that you're sitting in right now, it's phenomenal. And you are phenomenal. If you're seated in one of those purple chairs, and I'm pretty sure everybody is here... That you're in one of those purple chairs and God's very interested that you are seated in one of those chairs because he knows what he can do in a heart that's seated here open to whatever it is that he can do and wants to do. And he knows if you come in week in and week out and open your heart and your soul to Him, that it's going to root you in Him. And all of a sudden, it's going to change your world, but it's also going to change your perspective around the people that are sitting in other purple chairs around you. And then you'll start to think about the people that aren't even in a purple chair yet, that haven't even set foot in this room, because you know God's interested in their hearts. And that someday, maybe heaven will have a whole bunch of purple chairs... And we'll get to just sing the praises and celebrate with a whole bunch of other people. Millions and millions of people. Who God desperately pursued. Who God desperately loved. Who God desperately just did whatever it took to reach people. And he started with you. He started with what he did in your heart. And you couldn't help but have your heart be burdened for the heart's everybody else in this church, and everybody else in this community. Would you make Psalm 139 your prayer? The entire psalm is phenomenal. But the last two verses, David uses almost as a prayer. Acknowledging that God is this all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present God. This is how he concludes that psalm. 
Would you make this, this handful of words your prayer? Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Would you just be so bold as maybe to even commit those handful of verses to, to memory? Would you pray that maybe two, three times a day for the next week? What about the next month? Just make that your prayer wherever you go. Search me, God, search me. Dive into my heart and my soul and test my thoughts and see if there is any offensive way enemy. If there's anything in there that needs to go, then I confess that. Would you forgive me and remove it? If there's damage done there that needs to be healed, then I'm not going to reach out for any other superficial thing to heal it. I'm going to reach out to you and ask you to heal my heart and my soul and strengthen it. Warm up. Put on fire. The real me. The depths of my being. And lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me away from everything that leads to death. And instead lead me toward life and hope and goodness and love and mercy. It's all found in the Spirit of God that rides in on the Word of God to find the good soil of your heart. And so, Father, this morning, I just pray for these friends here, these family members here, these amazing people of all ages in this room. First and foremost, I thank you that we don't have to masquerade around with you. That we don't have to put up this false front like everything's okay. That we can be open and honest with you. We get why that's hard with other people, but I thank you, Lord, that we don't have to do that with you. So right now, would you use even the words of this song that we close our time with as a prayer. That as we sing these words, that they would be our heart's desire and our heart's invitation. That you would get in to the real us, the inner us, and do whatever work you need to do there. Search our hearts and lead us wherever it is that we need to go pierce through the hard-heartedness that sin can create in us, God. And then comfort and heal and direct the hearts in this room that are damaged, broken, or growing cold. And I thank you for the hearts in here that are right where they should be this morning, soft and open to whatever it is that you want to do. We lift our voices to you now as our prayer.